church community 2016. Welcome. My name is Nathan. So glad that you're here. Um, raise your hand if you like a Bible. We'll be in the Gospel of John here in a few minutes. Also, if there's a basket underneath a chair at the aisle, please pass that down. And I'm going to ask you to grab a pen out of that basket and take some notes today. I think it will be most helpful if you've got something to write with. And hopefully you've got a notes page. If you need anything, just raise your hand. And Usher will help you out. All right, we've got some space here in the front. You brave folks, come on up. Preaching's better in the front every week without question. All right, so today is uh, the Sunday that traditionally the church celebrates as uh, Epiphany. Epiphany, like the aha moment. We talk about epiphanies. Well, it's an actual day. It's a, the Feast of Epiphany happens on Wednesday because it's the 12th day after Christmas. Right? We almost never talk about this. You're probably familiar with the song that is uh, this song occasionally. But churches will celebrate this season because it's part of the Christian calendar. The season, a very short season, it's a 12-day season that follows the season of Advent, which leads up to Christmas. Then there's a 12-day season of Christmas, which lasts um, until Wednesday. And so this is the day that is um, looked to as the Sunday of Epiphany. We talk about aha moments. We talk about moments of clarity. We talk about uh, something happens and there's like an instant recognition or a realization of something, something that maybe was foggy or confusing in the past, sort of clarifies for us. Um, traditionally, Epiphany is the day that God reveals himself to, do you know, to the wise men, right? To the astrologers from the east in the biblical story. Those who, there's the little three little guys in your, in your nativity scene, the three, the three kings, sometimes we call them, that bring frankincense, gold, and myrrh to the infant Jesus. This is the, the historic root of, the, of the, feast, the Feast of Epiphany. And the significance is this, that they are the first non-Jewish people that God reveals himself through Christ to. And so right in the very beginning of the Christian story, you have this, 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 um, this clear demonstration that God is not just for one race. God is for all races, even those from another country. The first Gentiles to embrace Jesus as the King of kings and the Lord of lords are those who come and they have this epiphany. This is the Christ. This is the long-expected one, this aha moment. God makes himself known. So what I want to do today is, um, is I want to try to offer some clear, really simple, but distinctly Christian instruction for the new year which I hope um, will enable us to realize or to recognize or to experience God in every situation that we're about to face this year, every single one, that we will have this aha moment. We will have a, a new realization or a recognition of clarity of the truth and what God wants us to do because of that truth, maybe even in an area that for a long time for us has been foggy, confusing, unclear. Right? So I was thinking this last week about how um, we're normally consumed with today. Uh, occasionally, we think forward a couple of days. We kind of live week to week often. However, it's like the only time in the whole year that our culture slows down. It just happens. You probably felt it. But for the, like the only time of the whole year, we actually have this cultural trend of reflecting over a whole year that has passed and looking ahead, not just for a couple of hours, but for a, several months or maybe even a whole year to come. And so um, it's, it's the days you know, leading up to New Year, the last few days of December, and it only happens once a year. And all of that reflection and looking forward, it actually changes things. 
Like gyms will be really full tomorrow in case you're considering going. They'll be packed because a little bit of reflection is all it takes and a little bit of looking forward is all it takes for us to consider the bigger picture, the more important things. So people who weren't even thinking more than two hours ahead two weeks ago are suddenly going to show up in a gym tomorrow because they've had a moment of clarity of going, you know what? I need to do something that reflects the fact that I'm going to live longer than two more hours. I need to like change my life because of some bigger picture perspective, something that's, that's important, not just in the short term, but in the big term. So I want to try to take advantage of this New Year's opportunity. It's this brief trend in our culture of thinking about the whole year to come. And I want to ask this, this question, is there a word we could go to? In the Bible, which could apply, we could apply to our whole year and could provide for us a sense of direction or a sense of guidance for the whole year to come. All that we'll experience in 2016. Is it possible that there's a word of guidance from Scripture that we could apply to every single thing that we will see or experience in the coming year? I think there is. I've titled today's sermon, How to Handle Every situation you face in 2016, right? And at the risk of sounding silly or overly simplistic, I think we can seriously summarize a distinctly Christian way to handle every single situation that we'll face this year. I see in the gospel several sweeping statements of purpose and mission that we could apply to our lives in different ways, including a statement in the very beginning of John's gospel about a way of being, about a way of handling or approaching or leading others through every single situation. So I want to spend a few moments on that this morning together. All right? But first, I need, you to, um, I need you to apply this to your life right away. Otherwise, this is just going to be philosophical ideas. So take your pen and a piece of paper and write down off the top of your head. It doesn't have to be the most important stuff, but what are some of the situations you're facing as you look into the new year? Some of the situations you're facing. It could be big, epic stuff. It could be menial stuff. It could be a decision, a change, a business issue, a relational issue. It could just be tomorrow starts the carpool again. Tomorrow we go back to this kid's practice or something like that. But I, I'm going to ask you to just apply three or four things or identify three or four things so that as I teach you can directly apply it to your life and see if this will shake some stuff up and provide some help. Maybe something you've been putting off for a while that needs to be addressed, maybe a decision that needs to be made, maybe just normal stuff. Right? Got a couple things? Anything that comes to mind? Situations on the horizon. Let's go to John's Gospel. Beginning of the New Testament, it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John, who is one of Jesus' disciples, writes an account of his life. John chapter 1, we'll just read right from the beginning. I'll put it on the screen today because it's pretty brief, but I always think it's helpful to see it in context. This is how John starts his account of the uh, life and the story of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. 
Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Then you skip down after he introduces John the Baptist, and he goes back to talking about the Word, and it says in verse 14, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. So that last verse, verse 14, is where I want to focus in this morning. It's super important for two reasons. First, theologically and historically, massively important portion of Scripture because of what it reveals to us about who Jesus is. Right? He is God become man. He is fully God and he is fully man. Jesus has two natures. He's 200%. We are unique in our perspective and in our understanding. I should say Christians are, are unique. This is a distinctly Christian view of who Jesus is. That he is all divine and he's also all man. Okay? He's kind of like without giving up one nature, he takes on a new nature. He doesn't trade one for the other. He is both and. So kind of like when iron gets hot with fire, iron doesn't cease to be iron, but it takes on all of the characteristics of fire as the two, in a sense, become one. So this is a distinctly Christian view. Other religions do not view Jesus as divine and human. That's one of the things that sets Christians apart. Important theological reality, not what I'm talking about, but I need to make sure to tell you that. It's going to come up more and more this year. Just watch. What makes Christians unique? What makes Christians stand out theologically from other world religions? It will be a huge theme. So we'll talk about it all the time because I don't want to be misinformed. But what I really want to talk about is this. The second thing that's important about this verse is that it's, it tells me how to live my life as a follower of Jesus. Okay? And this is what I want to focus on. So the big idea this morning is simply this. This verse, verse 14 of John chapter 1, reveals to us who are followers of Jesus how we are to handle every single situation that we're going to face in 2016. No matter what we face, wonderful or tragic, epic or menial, you and I are called to follow Jesus who, very simply, look how simple it is, lived among us, full of grace and truth. So let's look at this, let's break it down like this. Let's look at it as one condition and then two ways of being, okay? Here's the one condition. Jesus lives among us. We know who Jesus is because he was born among us, because of Christmas, um, because he came to live and to die as one of us. What John literally writes in the gospel is that he took on flesh, that's what it says, he took on flesh, and then he set up his tabernacle or pitched his tent with us. So the words that John uses are super important because they have all kinds of theological ramifications because they hearken all this memory from the past. But essentially what, Jesus, what John is saying is that Jesus became human and lived with us. That's what he's saying. We know Jesus because he became one of us and he lived with us. So this is the one condition, friends, of following Jesus that I feel like I need to point out this morning as critical. Because he engages, we too must engage. He enters the situation, so we must also enter the situation. At times, I think, in history, perhaps this point could be assumed. I don't think it can be assumed anymore. In other words, before we can talk about how to handle every situation we face, 
We need to first decide whether or not we're going to face the situations that come before us. And I'm seeing as a basic condition of following Jesus into all situations, the decision to engage it, not to ignore it, right? Not to deny the situation, not to pretend it isn't a situation when it is a situation. You don't try to ignore something, pretend it's not going on. You want to face the situation, engage it. If I were preaching this sermon 10 years ago, I would have gone right to the two ways to live like Jesus. But this, after 10 years of pastoring in this culture, and I don't mean specifically this church, but I mean suburban Northern California, I feel compelled based on what I've witnessed and what I've experienced myself. There's a strong tendency in our culture to pretend something's not going on, to act as if a reality is not a reality in my life, that it's not a part of what's going on. To not engage. Here, let me give you some examples. We ignore the conflict with our spouses all the time. We ignore conflict within our families all the time. We don't talk at night. We watch TV at night. That's a trend, right? Um, it's the failure to choose to engage. That's what I'm trying to point out. Another example. We don't really get involved very much with our kids' development. Oh, we want our kids to develop. We really want our kids to develop. But... It's kind of like the school morn the, the morning scene at school. All these parents pulling up, kicking the kid out, closing the door, driving away. That's what happens. And we understand why it happens at school. But nobody's getting out of the car. Nobody's engaging, just dropping the kid off, trusting the kid to the professional. And I understand that. But when that trend extends beyond and into other areas like spiritual formation, well, I'm not really engaged in my kid's discipleship or my kid's spiritual formation. We have a really big problem there, right? It is your business. Your child's salvation is your concern and your business. You need to be engaged in that. Or maybe it's not about marriage and family or about kids. Maybe it's just really deeply personal. Like, in other words, maybe you've got a deep personal wound from the past, and it continues to affect the way you interact with people. But you won't call a therapist you won't talk to the person who offended you a long time ago. You won't confess the problem to somebody in the church. You won't ask somebody in the church to pray for you. You're ignoring it. You're not engaging it. You're, there's a situation, and it's there, but you're not becoming a part. You're not living with it. We can't do that. We can't just put up a fence and pretend that our neighbors aren't there. Right? So if the biblical Christmas story says anything to us, it says that Jesus chose to get personally involved. He chose to engage. He took on flesh, and he lived with us. He addressed the situation head on. He got personally involved. Jesus literally puts flesh in the game. Literally puts flesh in the game. I wonder if all the situations that you wrote down on your notes, just flip over your notes page again or look at it, the few situations that you wrote down, have you begun to engage those things? Have you faced those things? Are you aware of them and you're kind of still putting those off? Or have you engaged those at all? How many of those situations have you jumped into with both feet? Have you taken on? Have you gotten dirty? Lived with them for a while. All right, so let's agree to start there. And then Jesus shows us how to, how to handle every situation that we'll face this year. He begins by taking on flesh and living with us, which we might take as a basic sort of necessary condition. We cannot pretend. We cannot ignore. We cannot drive by, put off. We must dive in. I was talking with a friend of mine um, before Christmas about a big issue that was in his life going on. It was a huge issue. It was an issue that many of us, I think, 
would relate well to because we have an issue like this in our life or one or two. Um, and most, it's one of the, kind of the, it was the kind of issue that most people say, well, I'm just going to handle that when I can. Or I'm going to handle that when I get around to it, when I have time, which basically means I'll never handle it. I'll never face it. My, and my, what my friend said that caught my attention was this. He said, I finally realized that in order for me to really engage this situation, I need to quit my job. I need to do something else that took less time, earned far less money, so that I would be enabled to really address this important situation in my life, to take it on and to live with it and to deal with it. So that's one condition, just deciding to jump in, deciding to take it on, to get personally involved, to move into the neighborhood. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. That's why it's important for us to do it. And then once we've engaged the situation, here's how followers of Christ are called to handle it, whatever it is, whether it's your kid going to college or your parents getting sick or a financial tension that exists in your relationship or your need to get healthier or your need to just run basic errands this week. Here's how to face every situation and how to handle it in 2016 with grace and truth. This is what Jesus does. John writes of Jesus, the word became flesh and lived among us, full of grace, full of truth. That is Jesus' way of being. This is how we who follow him are called to be in every situation. Full of grace, full of truth. Difficult? Of course it's difficult. It's really difficult. But clear and concise and therefore, I think, really helpful. Distinctly Christian, because it's rooted in the nature of Jesus, right? So I think really helpful. How is this helpful? Well, for one, as a product of Western culture and Western education, I tend to come to a situation and think that it's either or. It is either a grace situation, I need to be really graceful, or it's a truth situation, I need to really bring the truth, right? And Jesus confronts this way of thinking and says, basically, it is both. And it is always both, and it is both at the same time. Full of grace and full of truth at the same time. I'm not ever going to get perfect with this. Jesus is the only one who really perfectly holds grace and perfectly holds truth together all of the time. But this is the way I'm called to, to handle every situation I face if I'm to faithfully follow Jesus into that situation. This is difficult, but ultimately it is so helpful to me, and I hope it's helpful for you, because it sets a standard. It kind of establishes clear guidance to me. Often I feel like I come to a situation like I tune a stereo, and I go, I just want to turn the bass way up and drop the treble way out, because in this situation I just want to bring the thump. I just want to, I just want to blow somebody away with the truth, or... I drop everything way down because it feels like I really need to soft pedal reality in this situation. I need to be really gentle in this situation. So I'm just going to go all gentle grace right now. But if I'm to handle every situation with grace and truth, then I need to turn the grace way up. And I need to turn the truth way up at the same time. And if I'm feeling, this is where it's helpful to me. If I'm in a conversation and I'm really feeling like I'm leaning towards grace then this reminds me, I need to bring truth here if I'm to be Christian. Or if I'm in a situation where I just want to knock somebody over with truth, then, I, and then this helps me. I realize I need to bring grace to this situation if I am to be Christian in this situation. Let me give you a couple of um, personal stories, and then we'll end with a couple examples from Jesus' life. A few years ago, 
this young high school age girl, 16 year old girl came to me. She had gone to a party. She put herself in a very vulnerable position. There was a lot of drinking there. She ends up lowering her guard and being taken advantage of. And she became very intimate with somebody that she didn't even know. So now it's two days later. She's talking to me and she's devastated. She's crying, regret all over the place, devastation. And I just feel like I want to just swoop her up and take her away, right? I just feel like I'm just bleeding grace for this girl. It's terrible, and I just want her to be covered with grace. And as I begin to pray for her, I feel like God says, bring the truth. Bring, come with grace and bring the truth, the truth about who she is, the truth about who she was called to be, the truth about forgiveness, the truth about redemption, the truth about the Holy Spirit, power to heal, the truth about moving forward in grace and truth. I felt like he was saying, be full of grace, Nathan, but also be full of truth here. This is the moment, right? This is the critical moment for her. So be Christian here, be full of grace, and be full of truth. Another example, recently I ran into somebody, totally surprised, came around a corner, boom, here's somebody, and I have felt very offended by this person. I have felt like they misrepresented me, told lies about me. So, Come around a corner, you see somebody like that, and I just want to, like, I want to deliver the truth, right? Absolutely. I want to set the record straight. I want to absolutely deliver the truth. And as I'm talking to this person, and they're saying, even in the moment, they're saying things that are not true. They're not true. And yet I'm sitting, I'm sitting there, and I'm literally working on this message, and I'm thinking, i got to bring the grace, right? If I'm going to be Christian in this situation, I can establish truth, but I also must, I also must bring the grace of Christ into this situation. Here's what's interesting. I thought about this. It is impossible to, it is impossible to be revengeful and graceful at the same time. But it is not impossible to be truthful and graceful at the same time, right? That is not impossible. That, in fact, is Christian. Um, one other example. Um, once, uh, once I planned this meeting, I planned this. It was an intervention. It was a confrontation. I had to lay something out in black and white. I had to call somebody on the carpet for something. But I realized as I'm going, I am so personally affected by this situation. I am so personally offended by this situation. I am literally <laughs> struggling to remain in control. So I brought somebody else with me who could bring the grace. Right? And so hopefully as the church, together, we could be truth and grace. Right? We could bring a Christian confrontation to a situation. All right, I hope that's a little bit helpful. As always, it's most helpful to look to Jesus. Two stories from Jesus' life really quickly where I think he especially reveals in a way that maybe we can understand more clearly truth and grace. There's a story in John chapter 7 about a woman who's caught in adultery. You probably remember the story. She is brought to the religious rulers. They are going to kill her according to their law, but they also have a little vendetta against Jesus, and so they're going to ask him before they do that what he thinks about the situation. This is where Jesus bends over, starts writing something that we never know what he writes in the sand. He eventually stands up and he says to those all holding rocks, all right, whoever of you is without sin, you get to throw the first rock. And then John writes, beginning with the oldest first, they all leave. They drop their rocks and they walk away. So Jesus doesn't condemn the woman. He, in fact, he rescues the woman and there's the grace. Then he tells her, leave your life of sin. 
and there's the truth. And it's not just for the woman that Jesus is full of grace and truth. He's also full of grace and truth for the very men who were trying to trap Jesus in a theological trap. It's with them that he is full of grace and truth. He doesn't seek the situation. That's what's interesting about this to me. It comes to him. They set a trap for him, and yet he fully enters the situation. He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't go like, oh, you guys are trying to do something. He steps right into it, takes on flesh, and he's full of grace and truth. And the best example of Jesus being full of grace and truth is, of course, his death on the cross for the sin of the world. Jesus, who is being sinned against, extends grace even to his executioners. He is full of grace in this moment. And at the same time, he endures the full penalty of the sin of the world. He doesn't compromise the truth that sin leads to death. In fact, he embraces and fully demonstrates the fullness of that truth. And so really what we see as we follow Jesus into every situation that we face is that this either-or approach becomes obsolete. It becomes a both-and approach all of the time. We are to be full of grace and full of truth. And even the idea that I established earlier on, where you kind of have grace on one end of the spectrum and truth on the other end of the spectrum, even that gets washed away, truly, in Christ. Because Christ's grace is truthful. And Christ's truth is grace full, all at the same time. So if you and I are to faithfully follow Jesus into every situation that we face in 2016, we must engage those situations, and we must engage them full of grace and full of truth. And this, friends, will take you the whole year to figure out, and, and more, right? However, this is clear Christian teaching in the sense that it is rooted in the identity of Jesus, who is the one we say we are going to follow. So let's pray for wisdom. Um, Amy, would you play something as we just take a minute? And I just want to give us a chance to, um, <laughs> I just want to give us a chance to reflect over the things that we are, that we have written down. Maybe you're leaning so far in one situation even the idea of balance will help you know how to go forward. Um, I need to stop talking and give you a minute to hear from the Spirit of God. And if you want to follow Jesus, then you can ask his Spirit to lead you in the way of Jesus. And, and he will show you how to be full of grace and full of truth at the same time. Let's pray for a minute.
pray, Lord, for grace for each of us. That as we re-engage maybe what feels like kind of our normal life tomorrow, that we would continue to grow in our, um, in our faith. We continue to grow as followers or seekers of Christ. We wouldn't default into our ruts and our patterns. We would reevaluate the way we do things so that we would authentically follow you. That we would have the humility needed to question ourselves and the way we do things. Um, and I pray for grace to understand how to follow you um, as graceful people and as truthful people. Lead us on, Christ, our King and our Savior. Lead us into uh, the fullness of your spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Friends, I invite you to stand with me. We'll take some time um, to welcome one another this morning, to greet each other. We, we pray that the word of God and the spirit of God brings grace and peace to our hearts. And so then we want to extend that to other people. Uh, maybe give somebody a hug, maybe offer to pray for somebody or just ask them how they're doing this morning. And then we'll come back together in just a few minutes. We've got uh, some babies to pray for this morning, which is always a good thing. All right. May the peace of Christ be always with you. Thank you. Take a minute, greet one another with the peace of Christ.